Well, during Advent, it's uh, pretty easy to reminisce about childhood, and this season can be incredibly nostalgic, and perhaps it's for that reason that I've been thinking about my childhood years, and as I've had memories flood into my mind, for some reason, the summer of 1967 captured my attention. It was that summer that my friends and I loved and engaging all kinds of activities, activities like ding-dong ditch'em. Do you remember that? You'd ring the run and people would come to the door and be all mad and you'd laugh. It was great. Uh, uh, <laughs> building forts in dirt, uh, climbing trees, jumping off roofs, chasing dogs around the neighborhood, and of course, playing spin the bottle. And on top of all this, there was the game Truth or Dare. You may remember the game in which friends take turns either accepting a dare to do something or they must tell the absolute truth in response to a question. And although I know this game truth or dare has been around a long time, this morning I'd like to put a twist on the idea of truth or dare. And actually this morning what I'd like to do is to combine some truth and a dare. I'd like to share some things I believe are true for each of us and important for each of us to think about in this challenging life, along with a dare for each of us to ponder accepting. Well, today is the second Sunday of Advent, and last week I shared the word Advent means coming, and that Advent is this four-week period in which we prepare to celebrate Jesus' birth and anticipate his second coming. Our reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, and it is here we encounter the story of John the Baptist. And very typically, this story of John the Baptist and Jesus is read during Advent because it was John that announced Jesus' coming, a key Advent theme. Well, embedded within the story of John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus, I believe, is a profound message of hope. And goodness knows, sometimes many of us here today need some hope in our lives. Our reading today is a message of hope because it shows that God's power breaks into the lives of those who need it the most when they need it the most. You see, at the time of John the Baptist, things were extraordinarily chaotic. And perhaps worst of all, during that time of chaos, prominent religious leaders were not known for love, kindness, and humility, but rather arrogance, anger, political engagement, and rigid, narrow ways of thinking. And it was then that God decided to come in person as Jesus to totally shake things up, turn perspectives upside down, challenge self-centeredness, and demonstrate in astonishing ways what God is all about. The world's power and powerful the time were no match for the power of God through Jesus. And despite the attitudes and actions of the powerful at the time, Jesus healed, guided, soothed, instilled peace and confidence, forgave, graced, and crushed any reason to fear death. And the coming of Jesus is not just about what was happening then, but all about what is happening and going on right now within each of you and within me. You see, that same power that came through Jesus and turned everything on its head is exactly and precisely the same power that resides within you and me right now. Here's a sampling of some verses from Scripture that all get at the power of God that is inside of us right now at the moment. Great reminders for those of us who need some hope. Scripture says God gives us his strength and his power. 
God's power is at work within us. God's power comes into our weakness. Be strengthened with the power of God. And finally, I will give you strength. I will help you, God says. I will hold you steady and keep a firm grip on you. And on and on and on and on. This power of God, we are reminded in Scripture and through the arrival of Jesus that whether or not we feel it, there is a great source of strength and hope when we feel spent, used up, at wit's end, or simply exhausted. The message, God invites us to turn to God's power, and God's power overcomes in ways that our power cannot. We do not have to do this life alone through our own reserves. What a message of hope. But there is so much more, and I want to explore further this morning just what is hope, and what are just a few of the reasons that you and I can be hopeful when things seem hopeless. First, what is hope? Well, one definition of hope is simply that hope is to expect, to expect with confidence. Not to expect what is bad, but to confidently expect whatever it is that God has in mind for us will come to pass. One person says hope embraces expectation, trust, and patient waiting. So hope is all about trusting God, trusting that the future belongs to God, trusting Jesus, trusting what Jesus said, and trusting that ultimately when it's all said and done, there's nothing to fear. Hope is about believing that good will happen. As one person said, hope is not the exclusion of the bad in life. Instead, hope is the power that leads us through the bad situations in life, allowing us to live fully regardless and in the midst of whatever is happening. Hope is believing that no matter what, may come our way, we can trust God. That is the essence and the foundation of hope, that we can trust God and believe that God is in charge. Now, I, like each of you here today, have gone through some truly rotten things, stuff that hurts, stuff that has cut me to the core. And I've had passages, like many of you in life, in which God felt absent, useless, and I did not know where to turn. So whatever I have to say about hope this morning has come through some grueling passages, along with a ton of hard work, prayer, guidance, immersing myself in Scripture, and ultimately through Christ himself. And I have to say that I'm still working on hope. I don't think it's a dichotomous deal. I'm either a hopeful person, everything's great, or not hopeful. I believe it's something that is a journey that we each are called to continue to work upon. Being a Christian is about living a full life with abundant joy, blessings, and good things happening for certain. But being a Christian was never meant to give us a pass on pain. Being a Christian is all about having hope in the midst of pain that gets us through to the other side of that pain and trusting that when it's all said and done, God has it covered, knows what God is doing, and all will be well when it is said and done. Here's what Paul wrote to the people of Rome about hope. Our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Look at the source of hope here. It is God, but hope comes from sufferings at its root. In other words, hope comes through the stuff we go through, especially if we yield and turn that tough stuff over to God when we're in the midst of it. 
The soil from which hope grows with God's help is pain. Now, there are so many reasons for us to have hope aside from the power of God which is within us that I mentioned earlier. But here are just a few other reasons to have hope that I'd like to explore this morning. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, we find Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Within it are some of the most magnificent teachings of Jesus. The sermon begins, as many of you know, with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are those who are persecuted, etc. Now, some people over the centuries have misread the Beatitudes, and that God wants us to be poor, to mourn, to be persecuted. That somehow these are not only praiseworthy conditions, but something to be sought after, and nothing could be further from the truth. Here is what the writer Dallas Willard says about this with some adaptations. He writes, the Beatitudes are not recommended ways of living, nor are they a description of who ends up on top. Rather, they are illustrations that God is fully present for those who are in life circumstances that seem to be beyond all hope. The Beatitudes are an expression that no one is beyond God's help or excluded from God. And then he goes on to write some more contemporary Beatitudes. Blessed are the repulsive, those who smell bad, the flunkouts and dropouts and burnouts. Blessed are the broke and broken, the drug heads and the divorced. Blessed are the HIV positive and herpes ridden the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the overemployed, the underemployed, and the unemployable. Blessed are the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the street. Blessed are the lonely, the incompetent, the emotionally dead, and the emotionally starved. They are all riotously celebrated at the party of Jesus. In other words, no matter what, regardless of what is happening in our lives, the Beatitudes remind us that no one is beyond Christ's reach, care, love, or concern, even in circumstances that seem hopeless. No one. And on top of that, through it all, in the midst of all, Jesus offers us, in the midst of whatever circumstance, transformation. Dallas Willard writes again, transformation through God reaching into whatever it is we are dealing with is possibly the most pervasive theme of the Bible. Talk about a reason to have hope. And there is more. Something that I talked about briefly in our Mountaineer article, our weekly newsletter this week. But at the beginning of John's Gospel, there's this great verse that says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And in this verse, Jesus is the light, and darkness is everything that is wrong and bad and evil. And what is interesting to me is that the Greek in which this verse was written actually reads the darkness, the, excuse me, what it reads is the light in the darkness shines, and the darkness cannot grasp the light. Darkness cannot grasp the light. The word grasp means to seize or to take over. And simply, this verse is saying the light of Christ is impregnable, impenetrable, inviable, unconquerable by darkness. 
Said more simply, Jesus cannot be touched or gotten to, overtaken by darkness and evil and all that is wrong. And as the presence of Christ is within us and the source of hope, we can be confident that no matter what, Christ within overcomes, darkness loses. And there are more reasons to have hope. The preacher Nadia Boltz-Weber writes the following in paraphrased form. She writes, in essence, I was thinking about my life and how at different times in my life powerful forces were controlling my life, my addiction, my unhealthy relationship, my terrible boss, my depression. These were the emperors who ruled for a certain number of years. And during their reign, it felt like nothing else existed. Who or what in your world seems so powerful it feels like it's inescapable, like it's in charge? She goes on to write, quoting Luke, John the Baptist said, prepare the way of the Lord. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain shall be made low and the rough ways will be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Ultimately, we will be saved and delivered and preserved. And then Nadia continues, When I find myself in the midst of the powers of this world that seem so inescapable and I can't see past them, I need hope, not cheerful sentiment. I need something more powerful than the forces that rage around us. And she goes on, Think of the terrible, awful, horrendous people who are around Jesus. Pontius Pilate, for example. She goes on, the only reason these tiny, pathetic, so-called powerful people are even remembered 2,000 years later is as, a, is as a footnote to Jesus. For Jesus, Pontius Pilate's a footnote. For Jesus, the mean-spirited religious leaders are a footnote. For Jesus, the chief priests who wanted him killed, a footnote. For Jesus, the men that crucified him, a footnote. And she continues, so my prayer when I don't know what to pray is that I will name every powerful thing that feels inescapable in my life right now as a footnote. My back pain, footnote. My mean boss, footnote. My struggle with sadness, footnote. My grief, footnote. My illness, footnote. My brokenness, footnote. My child's troubles, footnote. And she continues, don't mistake me, these are real things and they have a very hard, terrible, and painful effect on us, but in the big picture, God will turn it around. God will be victorious, and I cling to the promise that God is bigger than anything. And we can hope that one day every valley shall be filled, and every mountain shall be made low, and the rough ways will be smooth, and we shall see the salvation of God. So maybe part of having hope is knowing that the tough stuff we're experiencing right now will one day be a footnote to who we really are. This doesn't mean don't grieve or don't cry or don't get help or don't be honest about what's going on or express your pain or deny reality. Rather, it means in the midst of whatever it is to ask for God help in naming all that is going on as ultimately a footnote to who we are with God in Christ Jesus. And while there are many other reasons to have hope, like the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and death is not the end but a new beginning, 
There's one more I want to touch on this morning. In a recently released secular song sung by Carrie Underwood, she sings a song titled Love Wins. Maybe you've heard it. Here are just some of the lyrics. I believe in the end love wins. Love will, love can, love still, love wins. Now whether or not Carrie Underwood knows it, this secular song echoes precisely what Paul wrote to the people of Rome in a letter. Here are some excerpts from what Paul wrote to the people of Rome. Paul writes, Those who enter into Christ's being no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power in our lives is in operation. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired, God's Spirit is right, is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it does not matter. God does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. So what do you think, Paul writes? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, not threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this faces us because of Jesus' love. And I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing, living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that our Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. We know that God is love, as we learn in the first letter of John. And as God is love, love does win. In closing, remember earlier I mentioned the game Truth or Dare, that I used to play that friends with, child, with friends in childhood. And I shared just a little bit about hope, some truth about hope. There's more, but I've shared a little truth about hope. And this morning, in the midst of this truth, I'd like us each to consider taking on a dare. That dare, I dare us to hope. And if we're already hopeful people, I dare you to hope even more. Because it's never something that we arrive at. And as I say this, I'm not only inviting you to dare to hope or hope more, I'm inviting myself and I'm inviting those I love that are experiencing profound pain and hard things to dare to hope as well. Let's all dare to hope. Let's dare ourselves to trust God, to turn to God, to confidently hand it all over to God so that through it all we can live life with peace and some joy and some gratitude. And as I've been thinking about this daring to hope, perhaps if we are willing to dare to hope, something else happens. Maybe when we dare to hope, what we're also doing is defying. Maybe when we dare to hope, we defy all that is wrong. We defy all that is amiss. We defy all that is not as it should be. 
And maybe when we hope, we're defying all those negative, caustic voices out there in our culture and world. Maybe we're denying all those forces that would tear us down, that would lead us away from hope into cynicism and despair. Maybe we're defying those voices by daring to hope. And maybe when we dare to hope, we're telling that damned evil one where to stick it. And finally, when we dare to hope, I believe what we're, name, what we're doing is we are naming ourselves as children of an overcoming, fully present, trustworthy, and loving God. So let's dare to hope and defy all that tears us down. Amen.